Welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fun Caliber. Over the next two episodes, we'll be focusing on the UK stock market and the opportunities for investors. But we start overseas with the impact of Silicon Valley Bank's failure and what it means for some of the UK's most creative companies and why evaluations look good for UK firms. I'm Chris Sarley, and today we're joined by Alexander Jackson, manager of the elite-rated Rathbone UK Opportunities Fund. Alexandra, once, once again, sort of thank you for joining us and spending some time with us today. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Um, I know all things UK are on the radar, but maybe let's start with um, overseas and what's happening with Silicon Bank, Silicon Valley Bank in the US. Obviously, thousands of miles away, mm. sort of, but the bank's been used by a lot of sort of UK tech companies. Maybe just give us a brief overview of what's happened and you know how higher interest rates and a sort of lower growth environment might impact some of the UK's sort of most creative companies. And you know, it, is it as worrying and sort of the, the fear of contagion? We, we've had this before. Should should we be as worried this time? Mm. I think um, it's a really good point. As you say, it is miles and miles away, but um, there is definitely some second round impacts that we need to think about in the UK. Um, I don't think this is a, a, a sort of s- systematic issue that we need to get extremely nervous about because of the way that the Fed has reacted and because of the signs that I've seen in bank lending since. Um, but, you know, Silicon Valley had a, a very impressive Rolodex of relationships with um, with those US tech firms, but also a lot of UK tech firms, as you say. And, you know, during that era of very low interest rates, those sort of tech startups, um, you know, they 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 increasingly banked with Silicon Valley Bank. So um, SVB was taking a big share of those deposits and those loans, and um, they were attracting more loans, more deposits, sorry, than they could loan out. Um, but those deposits weren't particularly sticky because they are effectively current accounts for very cash-hungry loss-making startups. Um, uh, so you've got short asset, short uh, deposits on one side, and then the assets that they um, had on the other side of the balance sheet were very long duration bonds. So this is basically a, a you know an asset liability mismatch. This is banking 101. Um, and then the catalyst for things going wrong, of course, was when short rates started rising, um, and long rates didn't really move. So. SVB was, you know, very long duration during one of the most violent yield curve inversions we've ever seen. So you get huge losses, and then a depositor base, which gradually and then very suddenly noticed that a they could get a much better rate on their money somewhere else, and b was able to pull their money just with a very quick swipe on the app. Um, but what we've been looking at is, you know, it wasn't the asset quality. That was the problem. And it wasn't the quality of the loan book that was the problem. It was just a simple case of balance sheet mismanagement. And sort of in a funny way, that's a bit reassuring because it I think that demonstrates that it's idiosyncratic rather than systemic credit issues, um, which is the sort of muscle memory that I think investors who are around in 078 are are feeling kicking in. Um but the other positive signal was the speed and the surety with which the Fed acted to protect depositors, to prevent a run on the bank, um, and then to sell, you know, sell the bank um, to a, to another, you know, find it another home. But as you say, the second order impact is this um, is what happens to earlier stage creative companies. So, you know, higher interest rates—that's one thing. 
the availability of credit is the other important thing. And there's been a lot written about uh, banks tightening their lending from here, uh, which makes sense. Um, but we haven't actually seen any sign of it happening yet. So the numbers that we see, the data uh, has not um, suggested that it's it's happening. Actually, banks seem keen to continue lending uh, to their quality credits. And I think that's quite important. Um, they will be looking at um, all of the fundamentals within a business to keep lending there. So I think we need to wait longer, of course, to see how it, it pans out. But the signs so far are that, that quality credits will still um, still be able to, to borrow money. I spoke to the CEO of one of our portfolio holdings just after SVB um, well, SVB UK was taken over by HSBC, uh, Malton Ventures. The company we own. It's a UK listed venture capital firm, and they have stakes in around 70 private early stage consumer tech businesses. So, you know, right in the eye of the storm. Um, and their view will that is that, you know, there will be more strain in this kind of startup part of the market, and that some business models really only worked because of the era of free money. Um, but the companies that you know that they invested in, in their core portfolio, they are fully funded for eighteen months, so they don't need any more cash in order to realise their growth um, forecasts. And actually, they're growing very rapidly as well, like like really rapidly, kind of sixty percent plus a year. Some of these companies, so they're not really the areas that you'd be worried about. But nonetheless, um, Molten have been asking their their businesses to cut their costs where they can to reduce that, you know, that cash burn so that they're, you know, double sure that they don't need extra cash, uh, but, you know, without harming the long-term growth, obviously. Um, and actually what he said was that the end of free money, um, it kind of raises the bar for success. So weaker players will fall by the wayside and the strong will get stronger. Um, he thinks that plays to his portfolio. I know that it definitely plays into our investment style, which you know, focuses on high quality category leaders, um, best in class. Well, let's let's push on that then, because obviously I, I read a commentary from you. I think it was from the, the for January the first. I think it was, and basically where you sort of said twenty twenty three would be a year we'd start to feel the chill from monetary policy. Is it, it, sort of dispersion on the table? I mean, it's you sort of said it's not the classic sort of setup for equities. Is, is it a case of now is the time to spot some of the stronger from the weaker firms? And 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 in that scenario, does the UK stand out from maybe some of its peers overseas? Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. You know, this is a should be a really good time for stock picking, um, and and valuation will be the key. You know, when you get this very rapid tightening cycle, strange things happen, like you know, crypto frauds and bank runs and things like that. But more prosaic things happen as well, like companies have to spend more money paying their interest bill. Obviously, uh, funding might not be as plentiful. You know, we've had supply chain issues, labor shortages, all of those things, um, which mean companies potentially have to downgrade their revenue and profit expectations. And when you get downgrades, your valuation becomes essential because you, for, for share prices to move forward, you need to be in areas that have already priced that in. And actually, the UK does score really well there. So I think it's the cheapest developed market out there. Uh, the UK trades on a, around a forty percent discount to global equities. Now, you know, we've been saying that the UK is um, cheap for a while. Um, it is usually cheaper than the US, so we have to just kind of get used to the UK trading on a discount to the US. But this, you know, the discount now is so wide; it's never been this wide. Mm -hmm. um, the S and P five hundred, for example, sits on eighteen times 
And in reality, obviously, that number is is actually higher because there are some downgrades to come. Um, and it's a lot more than just the fact that the US is a sort of growth orientated economy. It's a lot more than just that, isn't it? It's the uncertainty of other things over the UK as well. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, the UK trading on kind of 10, 11, 12 times, that's pricing in a good deal of those issues already. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's quite a nice starting point. It's a good, you know, you really need that margin of safety when when downgrades are in the post, when you have that uncertainty. Uh, a lot of the stuff you read is sort of, you know, um, almost chasing shadows. You're trying to figure out how, how far the market's going to fall before you you perhaps jump in and, and sort of take an opportunity. Not not, not that that's necessarily the way to invest it. At the moment for you, do, do you look at the market and go, I might have to do this if we have a recession, and then what type of recession? Will it will it be, you know, soft landing or not? You know, how, how do you approach that? And, and, and does the environment sort of lean itself to certain sectors or is it purely company by company? Yeah, it, for us, it's always company by company because, you know, we own sort of 50 to 60 um companies only. So we don't need to own anything in any sector. We don't need to own any sector if we don't want to. For example, we don't own any banks at all. Um, So that's sort of, you know, that's quite a nice place to start. So it is always quite bottom up. Um, I guess what what we see is that you know, when you have environments like this um, and you don't, you know, you don't get kind of downgrades across the market very often. That's a quite a peculiar set of circumstances. And they, they're quite rare. But what we've observed is that during those periods, the the areas that outperform, it's actually very consistent and it is always quality. So, you know, what do people mean by quality? It's, it's you know, return metrics. So, return on invested capital, cash flow returns, that, you know, any of those kind of return metrics. Just to, just to be clear for, for sort of listeners as well, when you say quality, we're not talking about size here. That can be any type of company across the spectrum in terms of quality, can't it? Absolutely. Small companies can be, you know, very high quality and, you know, can definitely be higher quality than um, some large companies for sure. It's around, um, you know, how high is the it is combination of margin and how quickly they turn their assets. Um, it's also for us, there's a lot in there around the sort of stability of revenues and profits. So, you you know, you don't necessarily want something that's up a huge amount one year and then down a huge amount. That's not what we mean by quality and reliability. So it's that kind of recurring, reliable, um, those sorts of factors tend to outperform very, very consistently. Um, And the UK is quite mixed, I would say, on that front. You know, we've got a lot of energy companies, banks, they don't really fit a lot of those sort of classic quality markers. So Mm. you have to be quite selective. And actually, to your point, you have to be willing to go down the market cap scale a little bit because, you know, actually you know, a lot of the quality compounders are, you know, sitting in the FTSE 250. Well, obviously, um, that brings us on nicely to to the portfolio, because obviously you've got a, a decent chunk invest, invested in the FTSE 250 and, and also in AIM-listed companies. Mm. Maybe let's take each one in turn. I mean, are, are the clouds lifting for for, for, FTSE, for the FTSE 250 for these mid-cap companies? Are there still stresses? What, how, do you, how do you view that? And then maybe let's talk a bit about AIM as well. Yeah, sure. So I think a lot of the headwinds that really weighed on on the FTSE 250 last year, um, I can see them, you know, lifting or maybe even reversing. So um, weirdly, politics has been a, one of the sort of strongest upside surprises in recent months, which I didn't uh, imagine that I would be saying. <laughs> um, that's not where that's not what we're used to in the UK. That's for sure. Um, obviously, it was a low, you know, it sort of improved off a very low base in October, but 
um, the current government has actually achieved some things uh, around the Windsor framework. Um, we might even get a public sector wage settlement, drama-free budget. You know, yes, these are things we should be able to expect, uh, but we haven't. You know, we haven't had them sort of. Uh, successively in recent times. So expectations have been so low. So even, you know, a, a vaguely competent government seems to be um, an upside surprise. And then, you know, you've got gas prices, which are down below levels they were before the, you know, when Russia invaded Ukraine. So that's a really nice boon for customer, for consumers and for businesses. Um, it means hopefully that, you know, inflation has peaked and therefore interest rates are probably pretty close to, to peaking. Um, and we've seen sterling also, you know, reflect a lot of those um, headwinds dying away. Uh, and, and you know, and sterling has bounced really nicely. So, and those are all really good predictors of mid-cap outperformance. If you want, is there maybe an example of a mid-cap that you would like to sort of highlight that sort of falls into the bucket for, for your portfolio? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Keyword Studios is a really interesting um, mid-cap, UK mid-cap. Um, they are a video game outsourcing business. So, we, you know, we really like the video game space, but I'm, I'm never sure exactly which game is going to do best and exactly which console, which, you know, which area, which niche. So, it's a bit like um, buying a fashion brand. You know, you don't know exactly which are the most successful. So I would rather go one stage back and buy um, the sort of outsourcer. So Keywords does um, game design, game support, um, game translation, all of those things for almost all the AAA manufacturers. Um, really okay. interesting. Yeah, sorry. And I was, and I was just going to ask in terms of aim, is, is there anything you, you can do differently? Are you having to maybe meet management a bit more to sort of really get under the, the bonnet, even perhaps more so in this environment? Is How, how does that perhaps mm. work? Because of the liquidity, perhaps the issues that are attached to that. Mm. Yeah, I think it's for us. It's just raising the bar again in terms of the quality, the accounting focus. You know, we just have to be stricter, more and more strict all the time um, about you know finding those signposts in the accounts that suggest that all is not what it seems. Mm. Um, and it's usually around the same things. It's cash, it's accruals, it's, you know, it's working capital. So, it, you know, it is possible to spot, but I think it's not, you know, it's not being done all the time. Um, so, we just have to raise the bar. We also raise the, you know, we've kind of raised the size limit a little bit in AIM and that seems to to help a bit. Um, but what we have seen, you know, our AIM weighting has come down a lot in recent years, partly because a few things have been taken out, um, you know, been, been bid for, a couple of things we've sold. And then lots of companies are moving from AIM to the main list, which is an interesting little development. For years, having said, you know, there's nothing wrong with AIM, we're happy here. Actually, now people are saying, you know, we need to demonstrate that we have the most stringent, you know, corporate governance and um, accounting and all of those factors. Um, and one way to demonstrate that is to move on to the main list. Okay. I'm going to hop across the Atlantic back to the US again. I mean, you've okay. talked recently about UK companies that can benefit from US infrastructure spending. Maybe tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting theme running through the portfolio at the moment, actually, with, you know, and it's not just the, um, the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA. It's more, um, it's also the CHIPS Act, the Jobs Act, a lot of 
stimulus around infrastructure spending is um, percolating through the US economy. Um, and it's actually, you know, it's being translated into actual dollars on the ground now, which is um, something I think people often worry about with infrastructure spend that you actually never see the dollars, the companies never really benefit from it. Actually, it's happening now. Uh, so companies that we invest in like Ashted and CRH, which are both um, in the FTSE 100, and then Hill and Smith also, which is a FTSE 250 business. And they are variously involved in different parts of the um, infrastructure space. So CRH is sort of aggregates and cement. So very, um, you know, at the very beginning of, you know, building roads and bridges and things like that. Hill and Smith, they galvanize uh, steel. So they would um, be more involved towards the end of, you know, building a, a bridge or something like that. And then Ashted rents out the equipment that you need during that whole process. Um, so all three companies benefiting, you know, at slightly different points of that cycle and talking very, very uh, favorably about the outlook for spend there. Okay. Um, I just wanted to sort of round off with a bit of a rallying cry for, for UK equities. Obviously, um, it's, you know, best part of seven years since Brexit. Now, there's been so much uncertainty for, for so long that, you know, if, if you'd invested seven years ago, you, you'd still be, you'd be, you'd be wondering, you know, what's going on. Maybe, maybe give us your view for UK investors and, you know, why now might be an extremely good time to go into UK equities and, you know, just, just give them a sort of bit of reassurance for the market. Mm. Well, I think it's a mixture of that valuation point. So you've got this, you know, you've got this great margin of safety, this great cushion uh, that means we can absorb some of these downgrades. I thought it was really interesting during February when the U.S. market actually sold off uh, because of all these, you know, concerns about a, a harder landing in recession and and whatnot. Um, you know, investors started worrying about that again. And during that time period, actually, the U.K. market was up a little bit. So, you know, this is not huge numbers, and they're not super long term, but. I think that that's a good pointer for how this year could potentially play out. So valuation is the first thing, and then it's those you know those headwinds disappearing around you know politics, interest rates, um, sterling weakness. You know some of those things lifting, um, and the the you know the stock market is not the same as the UK economy. So if you can stay active and be quite selective in the names that you own. For me, if you can, you know, really focus in mid caps, which is where um, the alpha comes from. You know, if you want to outperform in UK assets, you need to own FTSE 250 businesses, not just the FTSE 100. Um, and if you can stay in quality, you know, to try and outrun some of those, um, some of those sort of potholes that can is, is there an element? I mean, I know we don't want to use the old saying of past performance; it's not a guide to to future performance. But sure. you know, if there is a recession, these type of companies in the mid the, the mid and small cap space tend to be the ones that lead recoveries as well. Yeah, the they time. lead it. They lead it out exactly. They've got some. You know, they've got interest rate sensitivity. They've got um, domestic sensitivity. All of those things. Um, but with that extra, you know, hopefully with that extra quality filter, so that you're not surprised. Okay. Alex, thank you once again for spending some time with us. Thanks, Chris. Rathbone UK Opportunities is a flexible fund targeting quality growth businesses. Alexandra looks to take advantage of cheap UK evaluations, but avoids the ex-growth large cap dinosaurs. She combines structural winners with a strong core of high quality compounders. And the final portfolio consists of around 50 to 60 holdings with a bias to medium-sized companies. To learn more about the Rathbone UK Opportunities Fund, visit fundcaliber.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast available wherever you get your podcasts.
Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Caliber's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Caliber's research team only. Thank you.